Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning again for those of you that maybe stepped in just a few minutes late. My name is Jose, the campus pastor here at Community of Hope West Palm. Could we just take a moment to honor the band one more time? Thank you so much for leading us in worship. We're so grateful. Thank you, Miranda, the team. You guys are doing a wonderful and amazing job. So grateful for you guys. But today we're going to dive right in. If you don't know, today's also Communion Sunday, so we've got lots of service elements. Today we are just going to dive right into our sermon. And so if you were here with us last week, you would know that we actually started our new Advent series called Come Home. And last week, Pastor Brandon excellently kicked off our service showing us in Scripture that Jesus is true hometown, if you will, using that sort of language, was not of this earth, that Jesus wasn't just a regular man. He was fully man, we believe, but he wasn't just a great teacher or a great prophet. He was God himself in the flesh, and his hometown was not here. It was in heaven. And so we we have this idea, God, uh, Jesus being fully God, fully man, Jesus left home so that you could come home. And if you're wondering what that means, there's actually a double meaning behind that phrase, Jesus Jesus left home so you could come home. First of all, we're saying come home as in literally come back to church during this season, okay? Uh, As you know, we've pivoted sort of in the online direction. I think a lot of people got used, especially with COVID and trying to be safe, trying to be safe, excuse me, you know, absolutely. During COVID, we opened up and there's some people that are still nervous and we respect everybody's decision when they decide to come back. But for those of us that have come back and maybe you're here testing the waters this morning, there's something that you get in person that you just can't get online, is there? You can't take communion with the body of believers online, can you? You can't witness the baptism that we did of little William Hutchins a month ago, can you? In the flesh, in person with the body of believers. There's, there's just the community, the koinonia, as the, the Greek term would say it, right? You can't experience that online. So we would, we would gently say, come home. If maybe you're today, maybe today you're testing the waters of coming back to church. We respect your decision. We glad, we're glad that you're here testing the waters. My goal would be for you to maybe take one step forward this morning. Just one more step. And so, but secondly, secondly, however, we're using this, this month really to explore the deeper meaning behind the story of Christmas and who Jesus was. Um, throughout the year, really, we concentrate on what's called resurrection theology. And if you're not familiar with that, we often talk about Jesus's death and resurrection as what brings us salvation. And people often call that his passion. In the Christmas season, though, we're focusing on his coming. 
on what theologians sometimes call his incarnation. We won't use that word too much, but that's what they call it, the incarnation. Jesus came in the flesh, God in the flesh to us in our world and in our midst. And there's really so much so much to preach from out of this one topic. So obviously we can't get to everything, but we're gonna be honing in on a few ideas. And maybe if you've grown up in church and you've heard about this you know, a long time, we're hoping that we can maybe give you a fresh perspective on, or maybe a different angle on some things that you haven't seen, or maybe refresh your memory about some things as it pertains to Jesus living and being in our midst, the incarnation. And so that's why we're saying Jesus left home so that you could literally come home, but also spiritually you could come home and be saved and have your sins forgiven by our heavenly father through Jesus. And so, but I think we would all admit during this, during the holidays, really during Christmas or Thanksgiving, sometimes it's, it's hard to come home, isn't it? It can be hard to come home. Some of you this year had to set one less chair at Thanksgiving, maybe even two. It's been a tough year and we actually offer, I think sometimes we, we can come in through the church and see everybody smiling. Some of us aren't smiling today on the inside. That's very true. We actually have a service specifically designed for that. You may have heard it on the announcements, but I just want to reiterate it one more time. It's called our Blue Christmas Service. And this service is really for for people who've just had a really tough year with losses. And so if that's you, or if you know somebody, maybe your neighbor, maybe your your coworker at work, maybe somebody that you know that has experienced loss, excuse me, um, invite them to this service. Invite them to come and to see how Jesus could help them walk through their grief because he's there. Blessed are those who mourn, he said, for they will be comforted. That's next Sunday the 12th at 5 p.m. Next Sunday the 12th at 5 p.m. Please mark it on your calendar if you feel that would be a benefit to you. But more broadly speaking, Jesus, we talked last week as being the light of the world. That's actually what that first uh, candle we lit stood for last week. But these past couple years, not just for people who maybe want to go into the, the blue Christmas service experience loss, but I think for all of us, it's been a tough year to cling on to hope, hasn't it? Whether it's a pandemic whether it's um, political unrest or, or senseless tragedies, I think we've all found ourselves praying for a little bit of hope this season, for just a little bit more hope. And it reminds me really sometimes of, of my, uh, my home buying experience for the first time. We uh, went on realtor.com and if you've ever bought a home, it is one of the most difficult processes, as you know, especially in today's market. But we went online to realtor.com and we saw this, this beautiful house and we were like, wow, Giselle was like, can we, can we go see this like this afternoon? And we're like, yeah, let's, let's go check this house out. The pictures were beautiful. I mean, they were just amazing. We show up and none of the greenery that they put in the picture was out in the front. <laughs> The pool that they had in the back was all like dirty and like had like algae in it and it was non-functional and the house was like twice as small as it was depicted in the picture. I guess they took a really wide angle shot. My, my, uh, my realtor calls it trick photography, she told me. She's come across it quite a bit. But we were hoping for one thing, right? We were hoping really hard for one thing and the outcome was actually very different. So much different, it didn't even seem the same. And I think sometimes this happens with our faith. 
I mean, we pray and we pray for certain outcomes. Key word on outcomes. And when those prayers aren't answered in the ways that we were expecting them to be answered, what happens? We lose hope. And some of you, and maybe you know somebody, has even lost their faith. People lose their faith over things like this. I like to call these today impossible situations. And I don't even want to go through a list of naming impossible situations because you know what they are already. We don't have to delineate them. You already know an impossible situation that's either going on in your life now or that you went through. And if you're blessed enough that you can't relate, you will relate. I promise you that. You absolutely will. And so, um, but it's actually not the impossible situations that cause us to lose hope, I would like to say. It's not the situation themselves. It's the faith, our underdeveloped faith that focuses on outcomes, that only focuses on soul outcomes that we believe is not able to deal with these kinds of situations. That's the heart of the problem. That's the heart of the problem. And in scripture this morning, we're going to test and we're going to stretch our understanding of what it means really to have a faith that clings on to hope that grapples on to hope in impossible situations, no matter what, the hope of Jesus. And remembering that very hope, I'd actually like to invite the Bolden family to come and to light our second Advent candle signifying hope this morning. And so while they light the candle, I'm going to go ahead and read our passage of Scripture for this morning. So if you would turn with me to Luke 1. Verses 26 to 38. It'll be on the screen. We'd love for you to open your Bibles to it. Or the COH app. Thank you so much, guys. So Luke 1, 26 to 38 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor With God, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her.
Let's pray. Jesus, we are in awe of your grace this morning. Lord, that you would come to us so that we could go to you. So we could find grace and forgiveness in you. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would open our ears, you would open our hearts to your word. Would they be yours and yours alone? Would we be changed by your presence this morning? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I think a lot of people have heard that name during Christmas time, haven't they? Mary. And whether in or outside the church, people already have formed their ideas around the story of Mary. But I would like to say that the story of Mary is simply one of the greatest Christmas and Advent stories that there is, but not for the reason that you might expect, and allow me to explain. I believe it's one of the greatest stories of Christmas because it's just so messy, and if you don't believe me, allow me to show you. I mean, often people who don't read the Bible often, or maybe who've just heard it uh, and not read it for themselves, they often, it's interesting to hear their point of views. They sometimes think that the Bible's like white bread. It's been removed and processed and bleached from anything that's relatable to us. But I'm here to tell you that that the story of Mary is a little bit messier than sometimes we like to portray it. Because it certainly isn't as clean as we sometimes portray it to be. Scholars believe she was about 14 years old during this time. About 14 years old. Um, no social standing whatsoever. And actually, women during these times usually did not receive any education at all. So we're talking about a 14-year-old young girl. She probably had no education, like societally speaking. She's like at the bottom of the, the totem pole. And She's unmarried. The Bible tells us she's betrothed, and really that's a little bit stronger than what we would consider an engagement, but nevertheless, she's unmarried, and she's pregnant now. And she doesn't know how to break it to her husband or soon-to-be husband that it's not that she was unfaithful to him. It's for another reason. And what we often fail to understand is that Mary's story lies within the context of what's, what's often called honor shame culture. And it's a little bit confusing to us because we don't live in an honor shame culture. We live in an individualistic culture. They're almost like op- collectivist honor shame culture. It's almost a little bit opposite to what we think sometimes. And, but really, honor and shame was like the social fabric of that time. It like kept things running. It was the, the social fabric of relationships in the, the Greco-Roman world in the first century. And people thought often not in terms of what's right and wrong in the inside, internally, but really what was culturally acceptable at that time. What would either bring honor or what would bring shame to my family? Not what I believe is right or wrong. And so what's really interesting about all this, and here's where it's going to make a little bit more sense, is that the male was actually partly, if not more responsible for his wife's sexual purity than almost she was. And so what happens if a male has a sexually impure wife or an unfaithful wife? All the shame actually goes to him, to her as well, but a lot to him as well. And he would be shunned from society just like she was. And really a woman's honor was based on her sexual purity, her, child, her childbearing. And a divorced woman or a widow 
had very little or no social standing. They were social outcasts at that time. And so now it makes a lot of sense, right, when you, when you see Jesus talking about widows and orphans or when James says true religion is caring for the widowed and orphan, caring for the least of these, the people whom are outcasts that people do not focus on. And so Joseph would be shamed. In this context, I want you to picture I want you to picture Mary in this context. She's pregnant. She's unmarried. She has a soon-to-be husband. She has no idea what is going to happen with her future, if she's going to be an outcast for the rest of her life. That's an impossible situation, an impossible situation for this young girl. But really, it's the perfect story for Christmas exactly because of that, because it seemed so hopeless. It seemed so impossible. But Jesus is a master of turning the impossible to possible, the hopeless into hope. And there's so much here. I almost don't even know where to start. But this, this story reminds me of just a few key elements that even people that profess Jesus and those who maybe you're here for the first time, we often forget. And so the first thing I'm reminded about in Mary's story is that genuine belief, genuine belief is seldom easy. It's rarely easy. If you would read with me one more time, Luke 1, 30 to 34, just to refresh our minds. Luke 1, 30 says, but the angel said to her, said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And look at Mary's response. I want you to notice her response. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. Puzzled, she asks, how will this be? So there's obviously a whole lot in these verses, right? Genuine belief is seldom easy. That's why it's called faith. And the authors of Scripture often tell us that there will be a day when faith is no longer required. We will, be, we will see Jesus face to face. We will be walking by sight, no longer by faith. But for right now, we walk by faith, church. And I think about the truth of this idea, first of all, for Mary. I mean, think about this. She had to convince her whole family network that she was actually not unfaithful. She was pregnant through unconventional means via the Holy Spirit as proclaimed to her by the, by the angel. And I would just say, you know, if we're honest, we'd say, good luck with that. <laughs> right, Mary? I mean, it kind of sounds like the dog ate my homework excuse. <laughs> yeah. But I would, be, I, would, I would be remiss if I failed to mention just why this is so important. I want us to think about this. I want us to think deeply about this. The virgin birth, along with the bodily resurrection of Jesus, is the hallmark of the Christian faith. It's unique to the Christian faith. There's no other religion that says that actually God became flesh, dwelt in our midst, and lived in our shoes, and died and rose among us. It's, it's a fundamental truth of the Christian faith, and it is so, so, so important. It's actually why we can believe that Jesus was fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and fully man, born of a woman. But if we're honest with ourselves, I think 
People have trouble accepting that sometimes, don't they? It's hard to take that at face value, right? Because we have some preconceived notions about how reproduction works, correct? How biology works and that doesn't allow us to see beyond what is in front of us. And I think, I would dare say that sometimes that happens to our faith. The preconceived notions of what we think faith is sometimes don't allow us to see what is beyond us. But I want us to believe, I want us to, to see that genuine belief is actually, in impossible situations is actually a really hard thing, no matter, no matter how easy the people around you make it seem. Because man, people with the smiles at church and social media, they can make faith seem so easy, can't they? It reminds me of a, of a good, when I listen to a good, simple song on the radio, and I'm, if you didn't know, I'm actually a, a musician at heart. I grew up playing the piano, and I have a, I, I'm maybe a little bit of an amateur recorder. I have some, some recording equipment at my house, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll get a, a enthused to, you know, just go and, and record some song ideas, but I remember one time, I was listening on the radio, and this song by Torn Walls, I don't know if you've ever heard, it's called Hills and Valley. And it was the acoustic version of just him and the piano. And he's actually playing the piano himself and singing, as I saw in the music video. And it's just him and a piano, a vocal and a piano. And it's like, wow, I mean, I could do that. I mean, that's, that's easy. Just a vocal and the piano, hit song, boom. Let's get this. So I went home and I started, you know, just jotting down some ideas. And I rec- about five hours into it, Giselle comes home. She was doing some stuff, and I, you know, I'm super excited to go show her. And I, I bring her the recording. I'm like, "What do you, what do you think?" And she's like, eh. "I'm like, let me listen to it again. Let me listen." And then I'm like, "Uh, you know, <laughs> she's right. She's usually right, actually. Um, I'm gonna leave that one right there, uh, but." He, he made it look so easy, just the, po- just the piano, just the vocal, and I thought I could do the same thing. He made it look so easy, but no matter what I think, writing a hit song is not an easy task, and actually, no matter what you think, faith is not an easy task, no matter how easy others make it seem. And see, what, what happens is, sometimes we have a, a faith that we think is just about mental agreement. We agree with you, pastor. We agree with the Sunday school teacher. We agree with the discipleship books, which is a mental ascent. And we think that it just stops there. We forget that actually our faith is actually a faith in a living, breathing person who is alive today and he's coming back someday in the flesh. We forget that. We think it's just about some mental ascent. What happens is our life, eventually outpaces our faith. Our life outpaces our faith. And if you don't believe me, that's why you just have a mass exodus of a lot of, frankly, young people walking outside the church. They think that faith is just that. And it's so much more. It's so much more. But it's a powerful moment for here in Mary, which how will this be? And she's really a witness for us. Mary refused to let her life outpace her faith. And so when I remember that genuine faith is seldom easy, I have to conclude, I have to conclude in whatever impossible situation that God is always working. He is always working. Even, like the song says, even when I can't feel it, 
even when I don't see it, even when I almost can't believe it, he actually is working. If you would read with me Luke 1, 35 to 37. It says, the angel answered after she asked this question. He said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever, can we just say that again, will ever fail. Now the the NIV says it just like that as we just read. But actually, there's a better way to translate that phrase that the NIV, that the NIV relates to us. I, I, I prefer the, the NASB translation on this one where it says, for nothing, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. But what I love about this from a biblical perspective right here in this story is simply the idea is that we, we are witnessing the unfolding of the, the drama, the redemptive drama of God at work in the world. This is the method that he chose to save you and to save me. And we are witnessing it. The plan is unfolding and God is at work in Mary's situation. I mean, literally the angel tells Mary for nothing will be impossible with God, he tells her. But now Mary was at a crossroads. I think we, after, I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. The angel tells you this, and you've already asked your question of like doubt and, and worry, like how is this going to happen? The angel explains it to you. Now she's at a crossroad. Think about it. Either God's not real, right? Either God's not real and this is not going to happen, and I'm just going to doubt and I'm not going to do this, or he's going to accomplish exactly what he said he was. And he's going to do exactly as he said he would. Think with me about this. What is the basic mode of operation of the enemy, the devil? Lies. He works to steal, kill, and create just ongoing circles of destruction in our life. But the work of Jesus is to bring that all back home, to regain lost ground, the lost ground of sin that we've given over in sin, disobedience, and rebellion. And actually, that's going to be a topic that we're going to touch next week. But this dynamic of having to choose, is God lying or is he actually there? This, this dynamic of having to choose between these cross, crossroads really is no better exemplified by the story of Maddie Selectman. I don't know if you know the daughter of Alan uh, Jackson. That's her married name, Maddie Selectman. And so this past week, I came across a powerful book that she actually wrote called Lemons on Friday. And if I'm not going to talk too much about the book, I encourage you to pick it up. After being married for less than a year, just, just, Barely less than a year, she was married to Ben Select Men. They were celebrating Labor Day on her father's boat. And when they got off, the dock was just a little bit wet and he slipped. He slipped, hit his head. And people fall all the time, right? So they didn't think too much of it. I mean, he's a healthy young man. So they didn't think too much of it. His brain started swelling up. They go to the doctors, and to make a very long story short, they were praying and praying. He actually ended up falling, he, uh, passing away because he slipped. And you're like, God, where, where are you? I mean, how could you allow something like this 
to happen. And Maddie prayed and prayed and prayed, and the healing didn't come. The good God, the good all-powerful God, didn't make the healing happen. And Maddie was left to reconcile the idea of a good God who's all-powerful, despite the fervent prayers that she gave. And I actually, she, she was interviewed about her book when she published it in 20, uh, I don't know if she published it in 2018, but they interviewed her in 2018. And she says this, I'm going to, I don't even want to paraphrase her because what she says is so powerful. I put the quote up on the screen so you could follow along with me today. But she says, this is a story about how to go about honestly grieving something that is heartbreaking, that you know God could have stopped. And for some reason he didn't, and you have to grapple with that. In other words, an impossible situation. It's also about the many question marks you might have in your future when you find that so many of your plans have been undone. How do you process that honestly, but also not lose hope? She continues, I don't believe God chose to inflict this pain on me. I think that the world is broken. It's sinful and bad. Things happen. Docks get wet. People fall. And that's the way it is. She closed saying, you can hurt honestly with God. I love when she says that. You can hurt honestly with God, but there is a way to not let your hurt overcome you because of the hope of who he is. What a powerful thing coming from somebody who actually experienced that. And let me tell you, just as how I said, she makes it look easy. It ain't that easy. It's not easy. Genuine belief is seldom easy. But that openness and honesty, even in situations where you might not understand why God is allowing something to happen, reminds me that thirdly, that thirdly, yielding, is the first step to hope. Yielding is the first step towards hope. And you see, really yielding is surrendering the outcome. Surrendering the outcome that maybe you've already had or maybe the outcome that you're hoping to have that's causing doubts in your faith. I love what Andy Stanley says, lead pastor at North Point. He says this, It takes greater faith to endure no from God than to arm wrestle a yes. So I would challenge you this morning. This is where we're going to see, we're going to use the pebble this morning. We're going to yield. We're going to drop into the bins in just a second the pebbles that represent the outcome that's weighing down on our faith. But we would ask, how do we yield it to God? We yield it. By number one, moving past the why question and asking what. I think sometimes it's hard to move past why and to ask what. Why, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And that answer usually never comes. But Pastor Dale was sharing with a group of people over at Loxahatchee in a very difficult moment. And he said, move past why. That question will haunt you. And ask the Lord what. Lord, what do you need me to do in this season right now to keep my faith alive? Number two, be open with God. Be open with God in your prayers as Mary was, as Maddie was. Be honest with him. Lord, I'm feeling doubtful. I'm struggling. And he, yes, he knows your prayers. He knows your heart. But actually, the openness and the honesty is actually a healing process for you. 
It's a healing process for you that the Lord works when you open his, your heart to him. And lastly, be quick to remember. Be quick to, to remember the faithfulness that he's already given you. Be quick to remember his grace, his love, and his mercy that you've already experienced that you can use as a backbone, really, for what you're moving into in this next season. But as we remember, I'm gonna invite Pastor Brandon to come up. He's gonna lead communion with us. We're gonna transition into communion now because we're gonna, we're gonna experience the hope of Jesus by remembering what he has done for us in our lives. And so you received a stone on the way in and that stone, we're gonna just say, represents the outcome that's holding down your faith that's holding down, that's maybe causing some doubts that you're hoping for, or maybe the outcome that you already received that you weren't happy to. And the bins are gonna be forward and our ushers are gonna have them just a little bit forward when they come. And I want you to, when you come up and you grab communion, literally drop the stone and literally drop that doubt, that outcome that's weighing in your heart in that impossible situation. So I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Brandon as he leads us in communion. Thank you, Pastor.